You're listening to Stories of Hope, a Bible discovery podcast. Hi, Amy. <laughs> hey, Casey. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Enjoying another pleasant day out here on the balcony. This week, we conclude our first series. I can't believe it. The Seven Signs of John. Yeah. Yeah. This one is, it's so famous that even people who have nothing to do with Christianity, if you've been raised in Western culture, you understand who Lazarus is to some extent. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I wonder how many people who um, did not come from a, a biblical background, um, mm-hmm. if they knew that they were friends, if they know that like he was just a regular man that, that, you know, there's a lot of myth around it at this point. I wonder um, like how, how much people know what actually happened in the background. So, we are continuing in the book of John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't be the seven signs of John if we're not in the book of John. Right. And today we are in chapter 11. And this story spans pretty much the entire chapter. Right. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of relationships and a lot of conversations that people, um, that obviously John thought was important and wrote down, but we're mm-hmm. not going to focus on that part. We're just going to focus on the sign of the actual event. Okay. So... What we're going to do today is start in verse 38, and then we will read all the way to verse 45. Would you like to read today, or would you want me to read today? I can try. Okay. Then Jesus moved deeply again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Do not tell, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did and believed in him. So this is the big one. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you're looking for a sign of someone has the power over life and death and nature and everything, this is, this is actually restarting someone's heart and getting them going after four days, not just like yes. resuscitating, but yes. actually like he smelled. <laughs> so as always, uh, we're going to put this in our own words. And this week I will attempt to paraphrase this story. Um, since this is a narrative, uh, really, I'm just going to follow along with what's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so good tip for you who are practicing at home. Just look at the verses and kind of put them in your own words as you go. Yeah. Think of other ways to say it. So, all right, let me give this a go. So Jesus had come to the tomb where Lazarus had been laid to rest and it was a cave. So they had put a stone against it. And Jesus said to them, okay, take away the stone. But one of Lazarus's sisters, Martha, protested. And she said, uh, Lord, by this time, 
I like how the King James puts this. Yes. He stinketh. <laughs> he said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead for four days. But Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and prayed to God. And he said, Father, thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I'm saying this so that the people around me can hear it, that they would believe that you've sent me. And so when he said these things, he cried out in a really loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. And so the man who had died came out. I imagine he was hopping. He came yeah. hopping out because he had been bound up with linen cloths and strips, according to the normal burial rites. His face was covered. And so he came out and Jesus said to them, untie him, let him go. And then because of this, a large portion of the people that had come to mourn with Mary and Martha believed. Yeah. They believed in Jesus. So it, there's it's a really lot to hard to, I was gonna say, it's also really hard to paraphrase this because it's, it's very well written. It's mm -hmm. tightly written at this point. So there's not much to add or to, you don't have to embellish. That's you, you never want to embellish and put anything there. That's not there, but right. the story is very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that you can't, um, if you were telling the story, fill in some of the cultural information mm -hmm. that might not be obvious to people. For example, in, in Israel and in, in Palestine, it's quite normal to have burials in caves. Mm -hmm. So it's not unusual that Lazarus would have been in a cave. Yeah, this actually kind of leads to our knowledge section. Um we do need to unpack a few things here since the entire story takes place over this chapter right. in John. Um, so we're going to sketch this out just a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus received word that his friend Lazarus was sick to the point of death. And he was staying about two days away mm -hmm. from uh, Bethany where Lazarus lived. And so when he heard that his friend, who he obviously loved and was very affectionate toward... Mm -hmm was sick he waited mm -hmm. and the disciples were very confused and they said okay why are you waiting he said trust me this is for your own good <laughs> <laughs> it's for the glory of god <laughs> yeah for, for the glory of god but i i love how there's always implicit in that this is for your own good <laughs> yeah it's, it's gonna be okay so he waited and then he received word that um Lazarus had died. Uh, I know he knew in his spirit that he had died, but he, he told his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, somebody's going to wake him up. And he'll feel like, better. No, he, let, let me be plain. <laughs> he's dead. Yeah. And so Jesus traveled with his disciples. He, uh, by this point, by the time he got to Bethany, uh, Lazarus had been dead four days. Mm -hmm. He had probably been buried immediately. Uh, that is even today still uh, a custom amongst uh, many people from this area. And Jews in, in and worldwide. Jew, yeah, Jews worldwide. I've also mm -hmm. have seen that. Mm -hmm. Same day burial when possible. Next right. day is often mm -hmm. the case as well. Um, he would have been buried and in these linen strips, there would have been spices and perfumes, things that would um, have helped along in 
uh, saying goodbye mm-hmm. uh, and honoring and him. honoring his body. Yeah. Um, he would not have been preserved. Right. Uh, so that gets into a whole other tradition, which we can talk about another time. But <laughs> <laughs> but he would have been laid to rest um, mm-hmm. with these herbs in his linen cloths and. When Jesus gets there, they've already sealed him in. He has basically, his body's been uh, prepared for the year of um, of waiting. And then they would have gone back in after a year or so, and they would have taken his bones and put it into a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that was how uh, most families at this time, when they could afford it, would have prepared and preserved the dead in waiting for the resurrection. Yes, there's actually references to mm-hmm. um, their family's belief in the resurrection. There were at that time already groups of Jews who didn't believe that the resurrection was actually going to happen. Exactly. But, but these people did believe in the resurrection, yeah. um, meaning that at the end of days that um, all people, the living and the dead, would stand before God in judgment as to whether they um, could be with him or not in eternity. And um part of the hope of the Messiah is that he would help people be right before God um, in on that judgment day. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life to Mary right before this, he is saying, I am the waiting one, but we will get to that in in another episode. episode. We're we're focusing on, on, and this one is that, um, yeah, they are living out their hope in the resurrection and how they treat the body. But at the same time, they're mourning, Um, the loss of this brother who is clearly um, an important part of, of the community um, important to Jesus. Um, And then I also like in this, the interactions of Jesus and Mary, but we'll get to that later. Later. Um, What's another knowledge, any other knowledge that is important in this passage? Um, There was a common, I guess you could say superstition or tradition at the time Mm -hmm. that, uh, a person was truly dead after three days. Right. Um, that the soul had truly departed the body completely. For Jesus to arrive on day four, this indicates he was very dead. Right. This was, was not accidental all dead. The he, way was, dead. <laughs> he was not partially dead. He was he was beyond the point where a typical healer with supernatural abilities would have been expected to be able to revive right revive Lazarus yeah so we're looking at Jesus's authority over life itself at this point because this was beyond what would have been understood as possible and that goes to our first question that we always like to ask is what does this passage um, say about God well the first thing I noticed throughout this passage is um Jesus's sympathy, mm-hmm. um, Jesus's own mourning. He knew exactly what was happening, what was going to happen, and yet he was still in the moment. He still mourned and wept over his friend. He still had extreme compassion for his friends, for Mary and Martha, the sisters. Um, he was moved mm-hmm. uh, in this situation. And so even knowing what he was going to do, he never once invalidated the mourning that uh, they were going through, and he himself participated mm-hmm. in that mourning. And so I think we see here a God who is 
very compassionate, Mm -hmm. very present Mm -hmm. in our suffering, even though he knows how he's going to reverse it. Right. I think that's very interesting how present he is. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just physically, because actually he holds himself back for a little while, but like he's in the moment. He's Mm -hmm. very in the moment while still holding on to his omniscience. Yeah. Yeah. Right before this passage, uh, the narrative describes how Jesus wept over Mm -hmm. Lazarus and the people saw it and they're like, wow, he really loved this guy. Yeah. Um, I think that really does show how, you know, we have these can pick up false ideas of like um, that Christianity believes that men are tough and they don't cry and all of these stereotypes that I don't even know where they come from, but they're just utterly Mm -hmm. false because our, our highest, example of what it means to be a man and God, um, was emotional about, um, someone he openly had affection for, Mm -hmm. um, who he cared about this family. Um, and he openly mourned in front of, um, in front of the community. And and that is our perfect example in this. Definitely. So the next question we always ask is, in this passage, do you see a sin that we should avoid? No. Yeah, this is this is heartbreak. This is um, mourning, but it is not sin. There's no sin here. There's there's no callback to a law. There, there's situationally, there's no sin here. Mm-hmm. Um, we see obviously the references to the brokenness of this world. Um, we death being the ultimate example of that brokenness, mm-hmm. uh, but a specific sin being committed, a line being stepped over, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Not at all. I think that is one of those interesting expressions that death in itself is, it is an evil, like that Jesus wept over the existence of death, even though he knew he was about to defeat it. He still was like, oh, this is, this is terrible, you know, but yeah, not, no one Mm -hmm. is sitting here that we don't need to avoid us in here. So, okay, we can move on. Yes. (laughs) Is there a promise? I mean, there's the promise of the resurrection, which he kind of makes more right before mm-hmm. this story. It is the fulfillment of resurrection and that he resurrects him, but it's a looking forward to the, um, of the promise to come, but he's living it out. We get a taste of it with a greater fulfillment to come. Is there an example here, uh, to follow anybody in the story that maybe we could point at and say, that's how I should respond. I mean, I mentioned earlier that Jesus is the ultimate example of being a perfect person and he mourns even knowing that it's not the end. Um, and I think that that's something that we as, as believers can keep in mind. Um, yes, we believe in the resurrection. Yes, we believe there, you know, our believing family members are in a better place, but it's still horribly heartbreaking to be separated from them mm-hmm. and to experience the, the loss of their presence in our lives. Um, and it takes a while to come back around to a place where you can sense, okay, they are still alive and they're with the Lord. Um, and it's, and that's okay. Like Jesus is an example of us here being in the, those first moments of realizing that your friend is no longer in their body. Like that is a shock it's shocking to realize that someone that you love is no longer in the body that, that, that you've always, um, associated them with. I mean, we get kind of like double take when somebody gets a haircut, how much more, Mm. um, when they are 
when that something that dramatic happens, just that experience beyond the the long term. So what about uh, Lazarus's sister here? What what can we learn from her example? Yeah, um, both sisters are in this story, um, and we know them from other stories. Um, Martha is um, the one that's interacting with Jesus at this point, and she's open and honest with him and um, like is interacting with him like a, a person. And I think that that's something that we can gain in our conversations with Jesus is um, even though we're not seeing him face to face, which she got to have here. But um, when we, something doesn't make sense to us, or if we, you know, in this case, she's like, wait, he's going to stink. Why are you doing this? Like she was not afraid to speak her mind um, to Jesus. And I think in our own prayer lives, um, we, there's a lot to be, to be gained of not trying to come across as um, this far away God figure that we have to do ceremony and ritual toward. We can actually speak to him as a person, a person who's extremely powerful and can do all things and, and have belief in them, which she did. But um, to also speak to him as a person, and she does a really good example of that here. I think it's interesting the little tag at the end about the community that was with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the people believed in right. Jesus after this, mm-hmm. and like we've said in a previous session, like there seems to be when something extraordinary happens there and and God is in the center of it, there seems to be a two-step process. We experience the incredible thing, the wonder, but then you have to come to a place of what I call closure on it. You have to choose whether you're going to believe in him, that mean meaning in this case to trust him, to join with him um, in his lordship and his power and to believe on him, or to reject that and have experienced something incredible, um, something unusual, but to choose in the end to not truly trust um, this deity with your heart. And um, in this case, is a positive example, these people chose to believe. All right, next question, uh, commands. Do we see any commands here? Jesus being Jesus... Um, he speaks to God as an equal, mm-hmm. um, in his prayer. And then he tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb, a dead man to come out of a tomb while he's still wrapped in his, um, in his, um, Burial shrouds. Clothes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> another thing, uh, another command is, uh, he tells him to take that rock away from the tomb. So he's right. going against the expectation here and, uh, they're like, okay, he's going to stink, but okay. <laughs> and, yeah. but, but they do, they obey and they obey because they trust him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is already a relationship there. Okay. Um, I think it's important here to connect the fact that Jesus is commanding the reversal of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't just telling Lazarus to come out, mm-hmm. but he was telling death to back off. Yes. So we're seeing authority here, uh, like the likes of which have not been displayed up to this point and to in the narrative. You know, healings, uh, even control over nature, all of these things are redirections of things that exist. We have spoken about how these healings are hinting at a larger reversal of the brokenness. But here we're seeing the ultimate expression of human brokenness Mm -hmm. reversed. Yes. 
at a word. You know, that mm-hmm. has been a common theme through much of these signs that Jesus with his word mm-hmm. is exercising authority mm-hmm. in the natural sphere that cannot otherwise be. Right. And, you know, not to overstate this, but um, in, in other people and in, in expressions of, of using magic um, where people have attempted to manipulate nature to be able to, to, to have control over nature. A lot of times the, the character of the words and what is said um, is very important and you have to be very specific and you have to have like a strong will toward it. And like, there's different elements um, Mm -hmm. you can read in fiction, but also like, and those who actually believe in, in even folk tales. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, Jesus is so underplaying this. He Mm -hmm. doesn't even say come alive he's like come over here like it's it's just the amount of power that is um implied by the fact that he's able to do this is is quite um quite remarkable the more you think about it the more you meditate upon it of, of the power of jesus in this situation this is a whole different kind of manifestation of authority it's jesus wants it and it happens mm-hmm he doesn't want it and then go through these crazy alchemical kinds of hoops or, mm-hmm. you know, I know we're kind of belaboring the point here, but this is important in direct contrast to pretty much every other mythology. Mm-hmm. The level of authority that Jesus has over death and the reversal of death, mm-hmm. the this ability to restore Mm-hmm. is unparalleled in my opinion yeah absolutely so that concludes the commands do you um see in here what this says about humanity as a whole like obviously the need for resurrection we've talked about um a little bit but is there any other things about this that this passage that shows um humanity and how we should relate to god We've already covered a bit of how the human experience, because of brokenness, we'll have mourning, Mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus walked with us in that. And we still get the sense from scripture that even in present day suffering, Jesus is acutely aware Mm -hmm. and compassionate in that. So looking at it from the human side, what we can uh, honestly say is that humans are not alone in their suffering when God is in their midst. Um, Suffering is not somehow mitigated or made less than it. Mm -hmm. it, Because we have hope, it doesn't reduce our suffering. Right. Suffering is valid. Mm -hmm. Uh, The existence and experience of suffering is a part of the human condition. And it honestly is a promised part of the Christian experience. Mm -hmm. There, there will be some level of suffering because to go against this kind of entropic brokenness, Mm -hmm. you know, our world is falling apart and Mm -hmm. continues in some ways to fall apart, even though the hope has entered the world. We have elements of restoration that are already happening there's that tension mm-hmm. that there are, that the things that are unredeemed will continue to fall away. They will continue to uh, go into this kind of entropic state where 
sin does not equal, does not always equate to immediate suffering. And mm-hmm. the experience of suffering is not always indicative of sin. Right. I think that it's just part of the human existence here on earth that we ex- we experience it just like happiness or contentment, um, joy. Um, so oftentimes these all actually go together at the same time, um, that the human experience is quite complex. Um, that, but yes, suffering, suffering is a reality in, in, in our world today. Um, when we are fully glorified and made in the image of Christ, um, in the promised time to come in the new heaven and the new earth, um, I can't fathom life without suffering. So I don't know what that means, but I do know that um, rather than rejecting and trying to run away from suffering and acknowledging it as um, as reality and then being there for each other as we walk through this life together, that's where the comfort and the solace can come from. Obviously, the greatest solace is looking forward in the hope that we have in Christ and the things to come. So last question, who are you going to tell this story to? I think this story speaks into the lives of a lot of different situations because it's life and death. Obviously, um, it makes for a good story. Like you can bring this up, but how you tell the story, um, I think honestly, Jesus reactions to his friend's death is probably the most relatable part of this story. When I look at this story, I think the first thing that comes to mind are people who think God doesn't care about their suffering. Mm-hmm. Here, we we definitely see God invested in his friends' lives, in their suffering, with compassion. He doesn't dismiss their mourning. He is there in it. He validates it. And, and then he does something about it. Yes. Absolutely. I think that um, showing Jesus' presence, um, not only physically, but mentally, in, in a heartbreaking and all-too-familiar story of a family member passing away, um, it's, it, I think it's very relatable to a lot of different people who experience similar things. Okay. So you, our dear listeners, who would you tell this story to? Mm. Yeah, I I think Lazarus, uh, the story of Lazarus is one of those that we all think we know if we have really any exposure to the church. Um, It's one of the big stories that gets told a lot, but Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot more going on here than I think most of us remember from childhood stories. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage you to go back and read this entire chapter, John 11 here, Mm -hmm. and Ask the same questions that we do here in, in the podcast. Mm-hmm. What does this say about God? What does this say about man? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? What examples are of people do you see here? Are there commands here? Always be thinking through those questions as you're reading through a passage like this and see what jumps out at you for the very first time. Because I would be willing to bet that there is something in this story you've never noticed before. Absolutely. And we will actually recover this story um, again in a later series, hopefully to be posted soon. And um, so hopefully we can... What is that series called? That's an excellent (laughs) transition. Well, we are finishing up our, this seven part series about the seven signs, but there's also seven I am statements that Jesus says in between these stories. So we're going to back up and in John 
and look at his I am statement. So this will le- be less about what he did and more about what he said. Um, and so we are looking forward to sharing with you um, our thoughts on that and look forward to reading your comments as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Stories of Hope, a Bible discovery podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.bible.com. Dash Erkunden. Da forward slash hope.